Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Nighttime's expose of the Canadian inmate dating scene, I guess. In past episodes, you heard Madeleine Klein and I discuss a curated collection of publicly available dating type profiles for inmates of Canadian prisons. Tonight, we have another collection for you. In this episode, we're going to consider the dating profiles of convicted killer Darcy Shepard and all-around psychopath Jeffrey Verdon. So buckle up and let's not waste any time. Let's get into another collection of Canadian inmate dating profiles. Ms. Madeleine Klein, uh, seeing you today is like seeing a shooting star. Shouldn't you be somewhere else? Uh, maybe. I The hospital. The whole week I've been on edge, but no, I think she's still pretty snug in there. Yeah, so paint a picture for us. When from like We're recording this on the 6th of December. What is your actual due date? December 12th. Okay, so, so we're, we're six days out. And you're when you're that close, you know, at any moment, if you get bumped the wrong way, if the air conditioning or heater comes on in your house and maybe blows towards you a little too hard, all hell breaks loose, right? Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm <laughs> wow. everything I do, like I walk down the stairs and I'm like, is this it? <laughs> this is exciting. We're, I'm so excited for you. Uh, I can't wait to do the follow-up episode where you can come on and tell me all about it. Um, I'm hoping there's not much to tell. I don't want it to be a big production. Mm-hmm. I, I want it to be quick and easy. And-, <laughs> and, and not like a topic for a crime and weird stories podcast? That's right. Okay. I like. I would like to go to the hospital and be sent home. 12 to 14 hours later. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're rooting for you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> exciting times are ahead, but exciting times are ahead today too, because we are revisiting one of our favorite topics to discuss Canadian inmates who are advertising their advertising themselves on a website that provides a, uh, I guess, a platform for people in prison to uh, tell the outside world about themselves and why maybe they should form relationships with them. Did I summarize that okay? Yeah, they did. I think it just gives them a platform to connect with mm-hmm. with others outside of the Prison. penitentiary or wherever they are. That's right. So in, in past episodes, we've covered, um, this will be our third volume. We've done two curated collections of these stories. Last episode, which was volume two, we focused on dangerous offenders. In this week's episode, we just have two different stories that we're going to talk about. One that I hand-selected and one that you hand-selected. Um, do you want to tell me at all about your process of going through the list of, av- of available bachelors and coming up with your selection? Um, when I go through the list, I I go by their conviction. Mm-hmm. I always choose like first or second degree murder. I would never pick like a a drug trafficker or anything. Yeah, come on. 
right? Like I, to me, you can rehabilitate that, mm-hmm. but like murder, I don't know. It's see, the subject is just so, so funny because like they're, they're still people and they're still human. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone, everyone deserves the same human rights of mm-hmm. connecting with others. Mm-hmm. But then you read what some of these people did and you're like, should they be allowed to do this? Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated she, topic, right? It is. And like, you would think that, okay, fi- like, fine, you can't take away this, this right to connect, right? But you would think that the biggest red flags should be like, just said right up front like Mm -hmm. hey i'm a dangerous offender Mm -hmm. or like i murdered my last Mm ex-girlfriend certainly (laughs) yeah it's it's strange but then on on the other hand too so like they have a right to have access to the outside world and ability to connect um in a controlled way like through written mail through the prison system sure it's also a benefit for the offenders i'm sure to start planning for a life uh upon release because the canadian justice system will see these people in most cases be free sometime down the road and if you treat freedom like a switch where you have none and then you just turn it back on you're just asking for trouble so giving them the opportunity to form connections then you know there's a positive side to that and one other thing and i think this will come up in both of our stories that we're going to share both of the uh, profiles we'll be discussing is these are complicated people who yes they did something awful and unforgivable and horrendous But both of them, when you look back at their background, maybe you can start to connect some dots uh, that may indicate how something like this uh, can be born or what what can lead to the type of crimes that we're going to be discussing. And that's important. Definitely. Yeah, past uh, past is very important. Do you want to um, flip a coin and decide who goes first? Or do you want to be the brave one who comes to the head of the class? I think I think we should save yours for for last because it's just so just <laughs> yeah. bizarre. Oh man, I yeah, I stumbled upon a wild one. The last episode like this, I found that guy who was connected to the Michael Jackson case. This yes. week, I found another wild one. But let's hear about uh, the dangerous offender that you found, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Verdon, described as a um, an unrelenting psychopath by some. Tell me about this guy. Well, and this, this is another reason, or not reason, but this is another uh, credential I take into account when I'm looking on this website, is not only their conviction, but their expected release date. And mm-hmm. when it says indeterminate sentence, right there I know they're a dangerous offender, because mm-hmm. this is Canada, and very few people have indeterminate sentences. Yeah, and, and we've, we've explained this before, but the basics for someone who's unfamiliar with Canada's legal system is... Um, Life sentence in Canada is maximum of 25 years in prison, but you can be labeled a dangerous offender if you meet these specific criteria. And if you are a dangerous offender, your sentence is indeterminate and you can actually spend life in prison if you're not, if you're one of the chosen worst of the worst. And that's inmate Jeffrey Verdon, who would like to consider, who would like you to consider dating him. But tell us about this, this guy. So Jeffrey Verdon is originally from Ottawa, Ontario, but he is currently in the Grand Cachet Penitentiary in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out it was he's probably in Alberta because he worked on the rigs in Alberta, so that's probably mm-hmm. why he's there. Mm-hmm. But he has been convicted of, f- for this sentencing, the reason he's in now, 
He was convicted of assault times two, threats and harassment. His expected release date is indeterminate and he is interested in corresponding with women. Okay. Let's um do you want to get do his profile first and then hear his crimes or the crimes first and then the cherry on top is the profile? What did we do last time? I can't remember. I don't remember. Let's do the let's do the profile at the end. Okay, sounds good. I don't know All if right. that's the right decision, but let's just go for it. <laughs> so upon looking into Jeffrey Verdon, uh, first and foremost, I found out that he was declared a dangerous offender in 2013, and he's a diagnosed psychopath. He scored 37 out of 40 on the psychopath test, okay. which is like staggering. That's the 99.5th percentile. So like a purebred psychopath. That's yes, that is so high. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I saw. I think this is through one of the court decisions. He was described as an uncontrollable psychopath, a walking conflagration of tumultuous fury. That is quite the statement. That and I believe I've got that quoted somewhere in my notes here. That's mm-hmm. well, yeah. And then once you read on, you're like, oh yeah, like this guy really doesn't learn his lesson. Mm-mm, mm-mm, <laughs> so, and his crimes, his crimes go back to the first I could find was from when he was 18, like a legal adult, but God only knows what his juvenile record looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so his first crime at 18, he and another teen robbed and murdered a 63 year old newspaper delivery man for $55 <laughs> and just like stomped him out and left him there to die. So that's, Pretty horrific. And he for only got a manslaughter bucks. charge for that. For 55 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that's like ro- it's like robbing a Dollarama. Right? Yeah. Actually, Candy I was, store, like... I made a joke. I was going into Dollarama uh, maybe two weeks ago. And you know, do you know what I mean by a Brinks truck? Is that a company out there? Yeah. Like an armored vehicle that would send like their like guard at, guards with guns into like collect the cash. Uh, they... There was they were going into like into a dollarama to like take the cash out i guess probably to deposit it or whatever and they kind of had to as me and my friend were walking in the store it was just this kind of awkward moment like you know keep your distance we're moving large sums of money and i kind of <laughs> thought like they got three hundred dollars this is a dollar store <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but anyway this is a ro- dollar store and everyone pays with debits so. yeah seriously don't act important there buddy um Anyway, robbing a newspaper delivery man is uh, pretty ridiculous and, and probably like a crime of opportunity for 55 bucks. It's just like, no, I have no respect for life. Let's just do it. Well, and, like if you want to rob him, fine, rob him. But why did do you don't do you have to kill him? Yeah. Was this like guy it f- was a pretty violent assault. Obviously, yeah. he died. I can't imagine this guy was fighting for his, you know, for his $55 and putting his life on the line. It's- no, there's no way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah. So that happened. He only spent about eight years in jail because he Mm -hmm. got out of jail when he was 26 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And then only three weeks after his release, he got into a bar fight and concussed a bouncer uh, during a bar fight by stomping on him also. Oh, yeah. So that's that's nice. But the the work of a psychopath, though, with no... Uh, ability to control his anger, no respect for human life. And that would kind of make sense. Yeah. No empathy, no remorse. It's mm-hmm. pretty much textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then during, I imagine he went 
because he had only been out of jail for three weeks at that point, he probably went back to jail and then had another court date. Mm-hmm. And in court, numerous numerous ex-girlfriends accused him of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. In 2008, he was wanted and accused of forcible confinement and rape, but he was acquitted. Ooh. And this isn't even the worst part of this. So he was acquitted. And there's a photo of him on, on the cover photo for this episode. And that's him walking out of the courtroom after he was acquitted. Yeah, kind of celebrating. He, so like, yeah, he's got like his arms up. I wish the judge or jury could be like, actually, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> You're yeah, guilty. He has shown, like in reading about Jeffrey Verdon, he has shown um, like emotion in a few inappropriate ways during uh, during court hearings. There was one... Um, when when the when a psychiatrist actually deemed him a psychopath he like audibly like sighed and rolled his eyes like oh you know like how how ridiculous this is and i i found a a quote from i think it's from the judge uh yeah it's from the judge or no sorry this is a quote about one of his reactions this is from the ottawa sun it says strangely verdon appeared to greet Levesque's decision with acceptance, and Levesque was the judge that ruled him a dangerous offender. Strangely, Verdon appeared to greet Levesque's decision with acceptance, simply shaking his head as if pitying the judge's intellectual shortcomings. Isn't that a great quote? Or that a great is, like piece of oh prose? Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Like, can body language be taken into account in court? I sure hope so. I'm sure it is. But God. It, it, making someone a dangerous offender, what else can, like, that's the, as worse as it gets here. He's probably like, well, I have nothing else to lose. So, mm-hmm. so um, I interrupted you. So as he gets off, he comes out of the courtroom celebrating with the, the V for victory sign with his fingers or, or what other people may call the peace sign. What happens next, though? And like to, this, this is one of the most baffling parts of this. So he won his acquittal. He got acquitted. Mm-hmm. And then the very same day of you know victory for him he kicked his ex-girlfriend's door down who didn't testify on his behalf and assaulted her i hate to laugh at domestic violence but yeah he (laughs) despite winning he was still mad that the ex-girlfriend didn't come and testify on his behalf so he went and attacked her like we know he's a diagnosed psychopath but clearly there's no thinking going on here Mm -mm. like you really don't care if you go back to jail let's i i would I don't obviously I don't know this guy, but I'm I'm assuming it's like blind rage and a complete inability to control his anger. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. There's there's wires in his brain that just aren't like properly crossed or improperly crossed. Who knows? Yeah. I have no credentials. Um but it's just like I can't I can't believe he won his case and still did that. Yeah. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And then I also read, I just, I thought the wording of this was really funny. So numerous jail guards would would also testify that he was violent. He threatened them. He attacked them uh, while he was in prison. But he also, quote, once threatened to kick out the partition of a police car when the officer wouldn't change the radio station to hot (laughs) 89.9. Wow. That's a, a, a pretty good indication you spent a bit too much time in police cars. Yeah. When you're that comfortable. (laughs) Right. And just the fact that they like, 
They said the exact radio station. <laughs> well, it's probably made its way into a court document somewhere. Because when, when you're making someone a dangerous offender, you really need to show your cards of you know the, the history of violence and their inability to prevent it from happening. So I bet you if we could get his report of you know, how he became a dangerous offender. There's probably direct quotes from the cop about what he said and stuff. So that's, I'm oh, assuming probably. that's how it made its way into <laughs> like an article. God. Um, so his latest conviction um, that wound him up in jail this time, uh, he grabbed a maintenance worker of his ex-girlfriend's apartment building by the throat and smashed his head into the wall, as well as grabbed and threatened her elderly landlady. Okay. So that was like, thankfully he didn't kill them, but mm. thankfully enough to get him put back in jail. Where he should be, obviously. That's because, correct. Yeah. So on top of the psychopathy, he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and no shock here, but addiction to drugs and alcohol, which I just kind of like assumed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He seems the type. Um, but this is, so this is where it gets, this is where I was not confused. This is, this psychiatrist was on his defense team. So I'm not surprised he said this, but a psychiatrist that was arguing for him said that his score on the psychopath test was actually significantly lower than originally stated. And that Jeffrey was treatable as he was a secondary psychopath developing his tendencies from deep trauma. Mm -hmm. so and, and, usually and we, i was under the impression that you were born a psychopath yeah me you, as well you either had it or you didn't mm -hmm. but this is the first time i've ever heard of a secondary psychopath but it does make sense yeah but this is a, a unique case as we'll learn here with this guy is you, you know you hear of people doing horrible things and you can trace it back to some kind of you know bad upbringing they were abused or some kind of childhood trauma i think jeffrey verdun has a um a pretty extreme and unique case of trauma behind him that involves another dangerous offender. Which is bizarre. But, mm -hmm. and also this is, I imagine this is just the surface of it. Like this is, we probably will never know everything that happened to this guy in childhood, mm -hmm. but it started in 1982 when Jeffrey was four years old, him and his two-year-old brother, Jason were lured by convicted pedophile and also would be declared a dangerous offender, Jean Dion. Mm -hmm. And he lured them to a river in Ottawa and threw them both into this frozen river. After um, sexually assaulting the both, a four-year-old and his two-year-old younger brother, he sexually abused them and then threw them in the river to leave them for dead. Oh, see, I missed that first part. Yeah. It's uh, that he was leaving them for dead and they were only oh. discovered by because someone had been walking in the area and heard Jeffrey, who was a four year old boy at the time, screaming for help. This guy went and pulled Jeffrey out of the water, but wasn't able to get his little brother. So Jeffrey's as a four year old, his two year old brother was murdered in front of him. And just by chance, he survived. And now, as fate has it, all these years later, Jeffrey is a dangerous offender, as is the man that tried to kill him and killed his younger brother. So it's, you know, it's, I can't help but feel a little pity because that, that is. Oh, yeah. Point, right. That's, oh my God. Like that would, that would, that incident alone would change, like trauma changes the way your brain functions. Mm -hmm. it, totally. And like that young, and especially to lose his 
two-year-old brother in the incident, he probably had extreme survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. And and on top of that, I d- I'm not sure when after this, but his father would end up dying by suicide. Mm-hmm. So he was yeah. dealt just a shitty hand, like mm-hmm. right from the get-go. Yeah, that's that's how it sounds. Like not only did this assault and attempted murder against him when he was four in a super formative years, and a four year old is a baby for anyone who hasn't spent much time with him. Absolutely, without question, that would affect you for the rest of your life. On top of that, a bad upbringing, neglect and abuse allegedly by his mom, his you know dad taking his own life. You hear of all the horrible stuff he did and you hate him, but then you hear about this and you're like, this guy didn't have a chance. No, exactly. And like I said, this, like what we know probably just scratches the surface. Certainly. Uh, yeah. But but this episode isn't to be a deep dive into Jeffrey Verdun's history. We want to answer the more important question is, would we date him based on his Canadian Inmates Connect dating profile. So you started to talk about it earlier. So Jeffrey Verdon is now a dangerous offender in a Canadian prison. He is using a website to post his dating profile and lure, I don't know if lure is the right word, attract probably young women just like yourself, Madeline. So why don't you read it to me and tell me uh, what you think of this. So his Canadian Inmates Connect profile reads as follows. I've been procrastinating writing this profile for so long because I'm a private person. However, I realized that I wasn't going to make any new friends or meet anyone if I didn't take this leap of faith and put myself out there. I would like to develop new friendships and build my community support. I don't sugarcoat nothing. Tell you like I see it kind of person. I'm very honest and like the same in return. I'm approachable and in good spirits the majority of the time. I'm caring and loving and don't like people that bully others i'm a very clean person so it feels like i'm cleaning all the time capital lol (laughs) i'm in prison because i've made bad choices i'm only human i've come a long way from the person i used to be i'm making the best of an of unfortunate circumstances feel free to ask me anything i can't wait to hear from you Hmm. so like it doesn't sound completely unhinged just to read it and not really know anything but once you do know everything, it kind of sounds like he's not like, so he doesn't like when people bully others, but he's killed someone. Mm-hmm. And he describes his past crimes as I've like, I've made bad choices, but I'm only human. Uh, so yeah, that I see what sounds, you, mean. you know, like he's, what word am I looking for? Deflecting. Mm-hmm. Which is something will. a psychopath would do. <clears throat> Absolutely. On first hearing you read it, I was feeling a bit of like, this isn't so bad. You know, he was kind of winning me a bit. But yeah, I guess if you look at the nuances of it, yeah, he is kind of deflecting. I'm in a good mood most of the time. When I'm not, I will uh, kick down her door and probably try to kill her or stomp on their heads. You you know, like that sort of thing is. um, Well, see, that's why it's like, it's that this is so scary. Because people like Jeffrey Verdon can switch at just the drop of a hat and then they become violent and then their next victim is standing right in front of them. Yeah. I've often said like what really scares me is unpredictable people in a psychopath. Mm -hmm. One of the worst psychopaths in Canada as far as his score on the psychopathy test. Um, 
you're talking about a super unpredictable, violent guy. I, I compare them. I used to work with this guy and we sat next to each other and I used to describe him as like a, uh, a pot of boiling water. And it was always at kind of a slow boil, but it took nothing to just put it over the edge. And all of a sudden the water's coming down, sizzling on the stove where this guy, he had like, he had a temper that I don't know how to describe it, but it was just, again, just like a switch. He would just all of a sudden flipping out to the point that I'm like, Oh my God, is he going to like start choking me from behind? You know, this kind of maniac, but Has he uh, cleared, cleared a few desks in his day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but when I hear of this guy, Jeffrey Verdon, it's kind of what I think about is someone who just at any minute, the wrong thing happens or is said, and he flies off the handle. And the only way that that can be controlled is with complete dedication to recovery, um, probably medical treatment, psychological treatment, and a commitment to you know to seeing that through as well. So I think if anyone was going to get involved with this guy, ooh, be careful. Uh, right? Like I'm under the impression that you, you, psychopathy is uncurable, incurable, incurable, incurable. We'll go with that one. In, yeah, incurable, but can be controlled, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. But like you said, like medication, a complete like dedication to, mm -hmm. to getting better. Yeah. Cause it, it, but, like it is, I guess, I don't know if, it, if, if it's a, I, yeah, it's like a mental illness. So it's you, if you're have schizophrenia, you can't cure that, but you can treat it and control it. But if okay. you, but if you stop taking your medicine or, you know, whatever, whatever happens you know it's it's still there i think being a psychopath is probably the same i don't think there's ever going to be a time where someone can walk up to jeffrey verdon and does so do something he doesn't like does not like and not get a re like a intense reaction out of him i think that's embedded into him and it could be oh, as a yeah. result of his trauma maybe a part of him is always has his back against the wall I don't know. Absolutely. Well, and you know, contrary to what everyone says about their ex-boyfriends and girlfriends, only 1% of the population is actually psychopathic. Oh, really? Yeah. I One of the most interesting books I've ever read was called The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. Hell yeah. Not only is it like super interesting, it's funny and it's, maybe I'll get it from the library again because it. Okay. I super enjoyed that book. But mm -hmm. yeah, and it just, it sheds so much light on psychopaths and how they're diagnosed and and I, I, it was a while ago, but I just, I don't remember him talking about secondary, being a secondary psychopath. Mm. You are either a psychopath or you're not. Mm. Well, let's move on to uh, the story that I found. I, I don't know if this man is a psychopath, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I would not date Mr. Darcy Shepard, convicted killer Darcy Shepard. Uh, when I first stumbled upon his profile, the name stood out to me, Darcy Shepard, because there was a murder victim, I think, in Toronto. He was killed while bicycling. Darcy Allen Shepard, I believe. And, and I think that's what made this pop up. But this is an altogether different guy. So if you start Googling Darcy Shepard, you're going to find an altogether different case. Uh, the story that I'm going to be talking about didn't have a high profile. It's a crime that occurred in Sudbury, Ontario in March of 2000. And 17. 
So the way this whole thing starts is the firefighters in Sudbury were called to reports of a shed fire at the back of a residence on Bancraft Drive just after 9 a.m. on March 11th of 2017. And while putting out the fire, in a, again, in a shed behind a house, they made a rather gruesome discovery. What they found was piles of wood pallets, a whole bunch of newspapers kind of stuffed in them, and then partially burned body parts kind of scattered across it. Uh, when firefighters found this, of course, they extinguish the blaze and call in the Sudbury police who take over the scene. First thing the Sudbury police do is they go into the home on the property um, to investigate and they find an equally gruesome scene in the home. They find blood spatter on the walls, pooling blood in the living room and pooling blood in the bathroom. But the most disturbing scene would be in the bathroom tub. It was clear the evidence would show quite obviously, that a body had been dismembered in the bathtub. In fact, the bathtub still had bloody water in the bottle, in the bottom of it because the drain had been blocked by pieces of human flesh. So it's, we're talking about a horror movie kind of scene here. Um, an investigation would show that both the home and the dismembered body and the partially burned body in the shed belonged to 59-year-old Kenneth Edwards. When investigators start searching for information on who may have done this to Kenny Edwards, they receive a call from a man claiming his friend just admitted to being responsible. So in investigating, they get a phone call from a witness who claims that he's a friend of a guy named Darcy Shepard and that Darcy had showed up at his place the day prior and gave an unbelievable story. Darcy, who was homeless at the time, told the friend that he'd been taken in off the streets by a sort of Good Samaritan and that the Good Samaritan gave Darcy a deal he couldn't turn down. The Good Samaritan, and I'm of course talking about the deceased uh, Kenneth Edwards, the Good Samaritan was sick with leukemia and he wanted to die, but couldn't do it himself. So he offered Darcy, a homeless man he met at like a food bank, he offered Darcy the opportunity to help him by killing him. And in exchange for doing it, the man is alleged to have offered Darcy a $10 million winning lottery ticket. So if you kill me because I'm dying of leukemia and I can't do it myself, I'll give you a lottery ticket worth $10 million. When the friend who Darcy was telling this to asked what happened, uh, Darcy Sh Shepard said, I stabbed the guy uh, while stabbing him. The guy, Kenneth Edwards, told him it's not working. So Darcy then used a baseball bat, hit Edwards over the head. then. Shepard, Darcy Shepard is said to have made kind of a sighing motion to his friend and said, I set fire to the shed as well and burned the clothes that he was wearing. So that's kind of how he told the story to his friend. The friend did not believe Darcy Shepard's story and that's why he called the police. Upon hearing this story, the police go to this friend's house where Darcy Shepard still is and they arrest him. Now, I'm going to play a short news clip that discusses the arrest of Darcy Shepard, and then we'll get into the story he gave police. 59-year-old Kenneth Edwards was stabbed, beaten with a baseball bat, dismembered, and his body burned in a shed. A forensic anthropologist was needed to help police investigate the charred remains. 32-year-old Darcy Shepard was originally charged with first-degree murder, but pleaded guilty to second-degree murder arson and causing indignity to a body. This was a crime scene on Bancroft Drive in Minnow Lake. The Crown Attorney called it horrific. The judge heard that Shepard told a friend after the murder the victim asked to be killed because he was suffering from leukemia. 
Shepard says he was offered a $10 million lottery ticket in exchange for the killing. Shepard has been in custody since his arrest a day after the murder. In a joint submission, the Crown and the Defence are asking for a life sentence with no chance of parole for 17 years. A date for that hearing will be set on Friday. Before I move on with the story, if a friend comes to you and gives you this story, how quickly are you calling the police? Like, he wouldn't even be able to have finished the story before I called someone, police, mobile crisis. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I, I don't know if I would believe him. Like, if unless he showed up covered in blood, I think I'd be like, this guy is nuts. True. Yes. Yeah. Well, and if uh, it was your friend, you'd probably be like, oh, so you're doing drugs again. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that's the, the impression I would get. Well, well, it's just so bizarre. It's mm-hmm. just like one thing after another not only did he want him to kill him because he's got leukemia but it was for a 10 million dollar winning lottery ticket yeah it's like, like, come on that's a little none of uh, this is adding up yeah. like, well when when police get darcy shepherd uh in the station for interrogation it only gets weirder in a statement made to police on march 13th again it's now two days later shepherd again claimed that it was kenny edwards who proposed his own death now they're quoting Darcy Shepard. He says, Kenny told me he was dying of leukemia and wanted to go out with a bang. He wanted his ashes to be spread on a river. And Shepard also restated the story of the $10 million winning lottery ticket to be his reward for completing the task of killing him. And in order to spread his ashes on the on the river, maybe that's how he's justifying burning the body. But regardless, uh, to police, Shepard admitted to cutting up Edward's body in the bathtub using saws and a knife. Instead, he built the fire in the shed in order to cremate the remains. But here's where it gets even weirder. Shepard also implicated a second man, a fellow named Patrick Sweeney, as being involved in the murder. Patrick Sweeney was arrested, and after spending six and a half months in custody, Patrick Sweeney was exonerated because video surfaced showing him at a homeless shelter in a different part of town at the time of the murder. So this guy just gets his finger pointed at him by the nut who burnt the body, and spent six and a half months in prison and who knows what it were it would have ended up if they didn't find video of him at like a different homeless shelter at the you know at the time that the murder actually happened that's insane it is insane and why would he point like if it already destroys darcy shepherd's story because if his story was true why would he be pointing the finger at other people that weren't involved like it's like he included something that's provably false in his absurd story um but that's that's a question or that's a matter i guess for the judge to decide because this will go to trial during the resulting murder trial it's revealed that kenny edwards did not suffer a fatal disease he didn't have leukemia shocker there and not only did he not have leukemia he also did not have a 10 million dollar lottery ticket at least no evidence even bigger shocker yeah as far as uh, darcy At the time of the murder, he was currently on probation, and he had a criminal record dating back over 10 years. Much of it was violent in nature. The defense described Darcy Shepard like this. They say, a combination of mental illness and drug abuse for many years brings Mr. Shepard to where he is today. Nothing that is before you can excuse his conduct, just there is nothing that can undo the damage he has done. To further complicate the matter, Shepard also has a history of stopping the use of his medications as he didn't like the, dr- the way the drugs made him feel. And that kind of calls back to our prior, some of our prior discussion about the case you presented is, you know, if you have a lifelong mental illness, you need to be completely committed to treatment. If not, you stop taking your medicine or, you know, whatever, and you end up in a situation like this. 
Um, but I'll just wrap it up here because in her sentencing submissions, the Crown Attorney, Kaylee Wylands, said it was a brutal, horrifying, and gratuitous use of violence to Mr. Edwards. Mr. Shepard delivered a death sentence to an innocent man and gave a life sentence of pain, anger, and grief to his family. That was one of the statements that, that they made before sentencing him. For his sentencing, I'm just going to play another short clip that outlines how that went down and what his sentence is. 32-year-old Darcy Shepard was originally charged with first-degree murder, but in May of this year, he pled guilty to second-degree murder, arson, and causing indignity to a body. In a joint submission, the Crown and the defense asked for a life sentence without a chance of parole for 17 years, a weapons prohibition, and a non-communication order with the victim's family. Seven victim impact statements were read, all from members of Kenneth Edwards' family, including his daughter, who said, quote, we have suffered at an immeasurable amount. He was a loving father and a loving grandfather. Um, he would, there was nothing he wouldn't do for anybody. And I think that he uh, portrayed his, his true colors when he took Darcy Shepard in out of a food bank homeless and invited him into his home for two weeks and what that resulted in his act of kindness was his murder horrific murder during sentencing shepherd made brief remarks saying i'm so sorry for taking the life of your loved one he's uh, hoping that this event brings some closure and peace to the family as it will for him he has a long uh, journey ahead of him and uh, hopefully this, the finality of today will help the family and the survivors of Mr. Edwards to find their, their peace and move on with their lives as well. Judge Dan Cornell called the case the senseless killing of a man who did not deserve to die. And he agreed with the joint submission on the length of the sentence. That means counting time already served, Shepard is sentenced to life in prison and won't be eligible for parole for 15 years. I think a life sentence is appropriate in this case. Oh, absolutely. And even like eligible for parole in 15 years, they're being nice. Mm, yeah. And I, I guess as I told the story, I kind of glossed over it, but Kenny Edwards somehow met Darcy Shepard at like a food bank and offered Darcy a spot to stay. He let him live in his house and Darcy was living there for about two weeks. So this is the story of a good Samaritan who took, a, took in a guy who appears to be violent and mentally ill and ended up, you know, his kindness was repaid with his life by the sounds of it. Well, and, and just the more we learn about the victim, like he had a family, he had a daughter and grandchildren or at least a grandchild. Yeah. So let's like, let's look at the big picture here. If and we know he already didn't have leukemia or or the $10 million lottery ticket, but in the event those things were actually true, you don't think that he would have like cashed the lottery ticket in himself for his family mm -hmm. or like gotten top notch health care with this money or like it's just this the story gets even more bizarre as you learn yeah well, that's like that's none of this makes sense it's like the 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 explanation is just the ramblings of a madman yeah to me exactly it's, it's uh it's 
horrific and brutal. Um, but that doesn't stop Darcy Shepard from hoping that women out there who see, who hear his story and see his profile may be interested in corresponding with him. And maybe it could even turn into something more. I'll tell you about his dating profile. So Darcy Shepard is currently residing in the Beaver Creek Penitentiary, uh, convicted of second-degree murder, arson, and, and indignity to human remains which has to be the wor- one of the worst things to be convicted of. You know, I can understand, like, second-degree murder, you get in a fight and you accidentally hit them and they fall and crack their head and die or something. You know, I, I, I can see that happening, but indignity to a human body, I don't know. I don't think I don't have it in me to cut up and burn somebody or whatever that, whatever you need to do to commit indignity to human remains. That is brutal. Well- and I'll just never understand it, but maybe it's because I'm a true crime kind of gal, and like I've, I don't done enough research to know that, like burning a body doesn't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Even that- when you get someone legitimately cremated, they like sift, they like sift the ashes. Not everything is burnt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like just and it's my dad's a hunter, and I have seen him struggle to like cut a a carcass up and i'm just like cut it cutting a human body up is not easy and it definitely won't get rid of it like i just don't understand how these people are thinking yeah well in this case the the remains that were found in the shed were described as partially burned human remains so it's they weren't even like burned by the sounds of it but yeah um well he's in prison now his earliest parole eligibility date is 2031 so whoever uh, corresponds with this guy hopefully they're okay with a long distance relationship for a while and he is interested in corresponding with women here's how he presents himself my name is darcy i'm serving a sentence of 17 years to life but i'm also appealing my case i'm 6'2 i have short brown hair usually in a fade and i got a lot of tattoos i'm usually the athletic type but i've been a little depressed the last few years but i'm getting back into it I'm looking for a friend to talk to while I spend my days. Who knows? Maybe it'll turn into something more than a friendship. I'm just playing it by ear and we'll see after we get to know each other. I'm a tattoo artist and on road I I'm a tattoo artist and on road. I have a degree. I don't get this. I'm a tattoo artist and on road. I have a degree in hard rock mining. I worked underground drilling and blowing shit up with Amex and dynamite. I also, worked con- I also worked construction most of my adult life and drove truck and moved furniture. Also, I love the outdoors, fishing, hunting, ripping in the trails and sand pits on my dirt bike, ATVs and snow machines. I love winter just as much as summer. And when it comes to movie, when it comes to music, I love all different genres, but my favorites are metal, old rock and hip hop, but not so much the new stuff. I'm old school. My personality is funny sometimes, but really quiet on other times. I'm very giving. I'd give the shirt off my back for a friend or family or even the needy. I'm very close to my family, especially since my incarceration. I'm so lucky to have their support. Thanks for your time. I look forward to writing and chatting with you and I wish you the best. So I I think my big takeaway, at least what he says in his uh, profile there, is he has the support of his family. That's important. I was just going to say, like, God, that would be so hard to have someone you love, like, commit such a horrific crime. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if it's your kid, because you can't, you know, parents generally can't turn their back on their kids. Yeah, I don't know that. Oh, that would be so tough. But it's it's important because if 
this guy, despite doing all this stuff, he's eventually going to get out of prison. And if he doesn't have the support of his family or someone to help, you know, someone beyond the prison system and the government to help him transition from incarceration to freedom, you know, we'll just be covering him again in an episode in 2045 or something. Yeah. Well, and then that goes back to the mental health thing. Like if he can get his mental illness and whatever else is wrong under control, he'd he doesn't sound like he's a dangerous offender that's bound to do it again. Mm-hmm. I guess he did have a, a history of violent crime, but mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, what, it's just the, the way mental, the way mental illness gets wrapped up in these cases is uh, pervasive. It always seems to yeah. be a case. And it's, I, I've heard a saying something like we have a mental illness problem disguised as a crime problem here in Canada. And that's I, a good way to put it. Yeah, and I think that's probably accurate. The two yeah. people we talked about tonight both have mental illness and past trauma. Uh, in Darcy Shepard's case, it came out in trial that he's commonly not taking his medicine. So how do you fix that? If they're not completely dedicated and committed to their own treatment, it it's just a risk for everybody around them. So do you keep them locked up or... Do you have a social worker who just holds their hand and makes sure they take their medicine every day? And maybe that's maybe that's the the solution. I'm sure there are programs such as this mm-hmm. that you know you have a social worker, whoever else, makes sure that they're taking their meds and stuff. But mm-hmm. well, short that's of what... like living in a halfway house or mm-hmm. some sort of not locked up per se, but in some sort of institution for lack of a better word yeah like in in a prison of course it'd be strictly regulated like every night at five o'clock is like medicine time so getting a lineup at a halfway house you're probably a step away from that at least you're required to like check in each night and meet with someone so maybe a halfway house for him eventually could be an option but eventually you know it's he's going to be free exactly a halfway house is just a a temporary thing yeah, you're it's halfway not something there. you s- exactly mm-hmm. so yeah it's i don't have the solution i'm it scares there's me there's gotta though. be one yeah there has to be one but overall without considering the his physical appearance and such in hearing his story and hearing his profile is this someone you would ever imagine giving a chance oh no what turn what what is it is it the i guess the crime you know i i don't think i could forgive someone that dismembered and burnt a body no that's i you have a line or a bar you a a a bow needs to reach and that's far below like having burnt a body i can forgive drug trafficking i you know what i can even forgive manslaughter because manslaughter like get the story manslaughter is like essentially an accident a bar fight gone wrong, whatever. Or a murder with a good lawyer. True. Very true. <laughs> Same. But like indignity to a body and mm-hmm. a, and a decade-long violent crime history. Yeah. And no a thanks. fake $10 million lottery ticket. Oh, and yeah. And that, that story is just the cherry on top. Ay, ay, ay. Um, sadly, there are infinite amounts of these dating profiles for us to cover. I think both of us pulled our cases off of like the first of like 10 pages. Uh, so we will be back for many more stories of inmate dating profiles. So if there's anyone listening who has a crime that's committed in their part of the country 
where the perpetrator has a profile on the site, let us know and we'll we'll cover it because it's, you know, the, I think a lot of people don't even know about this, but there are people who have killed people across the country that are online trying to date men and women. And I'm going to look for, this can't be the only site of his kind. There has to be another inmate dating site somewhere floating I don't, around. I know of, I've seen American-based ones. I haven't come across another Canadian one, oh. but maybe there is. I don't know. Okay. Well, and just to clear things up, because like I posted a few of these on TikTok, not in a while, but lots of people are like, oh my God, these people have internet access. They don't. Mm -hmm. They they only have access to like mail. Mm -hmm. So they're they're put on this site. They like enter their dating profile, if you will, and someone else puts it on. They, they're not on the computer all day. Mm -hmm. my, my understanding is that whoever maintains the site writes an introductory letter to people when they show up in prison and says like, this is who I am. This is what I do. If you would like to be on the site, you know, fill this out and send me a picture, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. And so what we're seeing is people who took the time to fill out the form. And then if you decide to correspond with these people, it's all through mail. Like, it's not like these people yeah. aren't emailing or anything like that. Most, oh, I, don't, heavens, no. I don't know. Like I, I'm sure there's some low, um, security inmates who would have access to the internet, but I, I don't know if even they would in a Canadian prison. Well, I, I just remember I had a friend who was talking to a guy in prison, but I think he was in the States Okay. and he had like a phone and stuff. Oh, probably like, like contraband. What, what is happening? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Jeez. But yeah, I was very, very surprised. Yeah. That is but. weird. You have strange friends, Madeline. I do, but they're great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start wrapping this up. Another interesting um, journey through the Canadian inmate dating profile website. I appreciate you joining me for it. And I'm sure we'll have many more, just probably not for a few weeks. At least a few weeks. I was going to say, like, maybe should we tentatively plan something for next week? Oh, just to, just to have maybe, fun. Let's, let's just... do it. No, let's do it. It'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I've been so worried about being early this entire pregnancy, God knows I'll be late. So. Okay. So let's plan one for every month, every Thursday this month. Done. Done deal. <laughs> all right, Madeline. Well, let's wrap this up. We're all very excited for you. And uh, when news comes, I will share it with our listeners. Perfect. I'll keep you on baby watch. I want to thank you for joining Madeline Klein and I for this episode of Nighttime. I'm going to start wrapping up this episode, but before I part, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Madeline for spending another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big shout out to Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode, and LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, a massive thanks goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Timothy, Keegan, and Dave, I appreciate you. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help us out here in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show. But a premium feed subscription also gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. 
And even if you don't want to go premium, you can still help the show grow by sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know about the work we're doing here. If anyone listening has any story ideas, wants to give feedback on the show, or would like to submit a question or comment, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.